If you hear the gospel this morning, it comes from the book of John, chapter 18, beginning with the first verse. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Jesus brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and Pharisees. As they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons, then Jesus, knowing all that was about to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those who you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back in your sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father gave me? So the soldiers, their officers, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. The word of God to the people of God. Good morning, church. Good to have you with us and out and, and speaking out loud and praising God. I want to uh, thank everyone for being here today, whether you're with us online or whether you're here in the house. Everyone is a part of the church family, even those of you who may be worshiping with us for the first time. Welcome to the family. Let's, let's take a moment this morning to wave at each other. Let us know that, that we are a family. Wave to those who are online. As, as, you, as the sermon goes on and as the service continues, make a comment in those uh, comment sections. If you're here, if you're online and if you're worshiping with us in the house, go ahead and shout it out. Love hearing from you. I'm Pastor Regina and, and I look forward to spending the next few minutes with you. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. This quote is from an 18th century Irish poet, singer, songwriter, and entertainer, Thomas More. Some of you may recognize this tagline from the more recent lyrics contained in a David Crowder song. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. This is the message of Lent. Whatever life throws at us, whatever difficulties we face, the lessons that strengthen us for the Lenten journey is that heaven can heal anything that the world places as a stumbling block before us. It is a lesson that we learn for our Lenten journey that strengthens our faith and ultimately allows us to experience the joy of the resurrection. Lent is a time when when the walking wounded in life can be redirected. It's a time when the walking wounded of life focus on themselves and their shortcomings, their regrets, their mortality. Lent is a time when the walking wounded are healed. Lent is a time 
when we realize that we are the walking wounded. We are the walking wounded, whether we want to admit it or not. We like to think we hide it well. We like to think that we are whole and strong and self-sufficient. But when we spend time in self-examination and self-denial, we realize that our need for repentance and authenticity. That reminds us of a mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The time of renewal and soul cleansing provides a time to, to change direction, to leave behind the distractions of the world. Lent prepares us for the celebration of the resurrection. We began Lent with our Ash Wednesday service. Last Sunday, our Lenten sermon series on the road to the cross began to focus on bit players that we find along the Lenten journey that, we will, ta- that will take us on the road leading to Calvary and ultimately to an empty tomb. By walking the dusty, difficult road, we will better appreciate the resurrection by observing the scenery around us. We walk, carefully observing the people and the events we encounter. We walk, listening to the subtle voices speaking for those who cannot or will not, while we declare the truth that lay below the surface. We walk, becoming more in tune with the spiritual being that we were created to be. Last week we met Simon the leper who hosted a meal and the prostitute who anointed Jesus with expensive oil. We discovered that too often we overlook folks in the margins of society, but they have great lessons to teach us, much like the lessons that we learned from the leper and the prostitute. We learn that Jesus looks beyond the surface of events and people to recognize the true significance of each. We learn that no action taken in love is insignificant. We realize that the sinful individuals can be redeemed and and that no matter what disease or malady we find that may infect us, God welcomes us and elevates us to a position of God's child. We understood that the Easter miracle is for all people. Our quick judgment of people and our failure to look below the layers of pain, self-doubt, circumstances, and ugliness we find in ourselves and others causes us to neglect the beauty that lies below the surface. Quick judgment causes us to miss the magnificence of all of God's children. Today's journey takes us to a garden. It's a garden where we find Malchus, the high priest's servant, Malchus was simply doing his job and was wounded by the hands of Peter. Yet we see in this encounter restoration, humility, and a sense of purpose. Let's allow our imagination to take us back in time as we hear about what happened firsthand from Malchus himself as he discovers his grandson rummaging through his grandfather's things. The boy got caught rummaging through his grandfather's things. Just as he pulled back the coarse sleeping mat and saw a carefully wrapped cloth package, his grandfather spoke from the doorway. Can I help you find something? His grandfather knelt and carefully untied the strings and opened the bundle. First, he took out the finest robe that the boy had ever seen, elegantly embroidered. It was fit for someone very rich and powerful. When the old man held it up, there was a dim light. Even in the dim light, the boy could see that the right shoulder was covered with a dark stain. 
And this stain ran from the sleeve to the cuff. See the stain? That's my blood. I was wearing this the night that a man named Peter cut off my ear and a man named Jesus healed me. The old man put down the robe and picked up another object, a Roman sword, and he handed it to the boy. Peter gave it to me, said the old man. He said it would help me remember that night like I could forever forget. Do you, hear this? Do you want to hear the story? It all happened long before you were born. I was a leader of the, of the temple guard in Jerusalem. During Passover, we were sent to arrest a man named Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. Judas, one of his disciples, betrayed him. Judas didn't want to go with us, but we made him take us to Jesus. It was part of the deal. I led the temple guard to the, and a Roman centurion and his soldiers through the dark streets outside the city to a garden called Gethsemane. The rabbi was praying with these disciples. I couldn't believe it. Judas walked right over to the rabbi and kissed him. Then I stepped in to arrest the rabbi. It all happened so fast. I didn't see the big man reach under his cloak and pull out his sword. I remember a flash of the blade in the torchlight. I turned my head and tried to get out of the way, but I wasn't quick enough. The tip of the blade caught my right ear and cut off. Well, not all the way. It was kind of hanging by a piece of skin. It didn't hurt much, a shock at first, I guess. But then it hurt a lot. I thought I was going to be an all-out battle. My soldiers and the Romans were yelling and pulling their swords, but that's not what happened. Stop! Enough of this! shouted the rabbi. He told the man to put away his sword. Well, there I stood, covered in blood, holding my ear. Then the rabbi reached out. I still remember the look on his face. It wasn't angry. He should have been, but he wasn't. He, took, he looked at it as if he felt everything that I, I was feeling and that he really cared. He reached up and pulled my hand away and touched my ear. I didn't feel anything. Well, I felt something. I, ju- I just can't explain it. Suddenly, it was as if nothing had happened. My face didn't hurt. I wasn't bleeding. And my ear was back where it was supposed to be. The cut was completely healed. It wasn't until the next day that I noticed the scar. The old man turned turned his head so the grandson could, could get a better look, and he ran his finger along the jagged scar obscured by his beard. It stretched from the top of his ear to the edge of his jaw. We arrested him, and they tried him that night and crucified him the next morning. It was awful. Three days later, I heard rumors that he had come back from the dead. The temple guard made the story that made up a story that, that they had fallen asleep and his disciples had stolen the body. I knew those men. It was all a lie. So I looked for his followers. It took me some doing, but, but I found the big man who cut off my ear. He was afraid at first. But after a while, he had introduced me to the rest of the rabbi's followers. They'd all seen the rabbi alive. I didn't believe it. Of course, neither did they at first. But I was there when he appeared to them. I saw him too. He was alive. He recognized me. Don't ask me how. It was dark and confusing that night in the garden. When he saw me, he smiled and gave a tug at his right ear and winked. I saw him ascend into heaven. I was in the upper room in Jerusalem the day it happened. I heard the wind. I saw the flames. It's all, well, it's all real. He is the Messiah, the Christ. I don't know how, 
But I know it now. I arrested him and helped them torture him and kill him. And what did he do? He healed me, forgives me, loves me. Now, it didn't take long for the persecution to start. Thousands of people believed in the rabbi. The religious leaders wanted it stopped. They thought it would end when they killed him. (laughs) I guess they didn't count on him coming back from the dead. No one did. Now, this isn't a fictional account of what happened to Malchus. The events of the night in the garden, but we don't know what really happened. But what we do know is that Jesus showed compassion and love even to his enemies. We see all those who are wounded physically and spiritually can become followers of Jesus when events in life happen that change our perspective. In our reading of the gospel, we don't get all those details of what eventually happened to Malchus, nor do we see the exchange of Peter's sword to Malchus's possession. What we do see is Jesus' compassion and resolute spirit to fulfill the prophecy of the Messiah. We see Peter's actions of evil restored by the touch of Jesus. We've all found ourselves in the place of Peter, indignant by the circumstances we face, acting out in anger and doing something we may later regret. We've also found ourselves in the place of Malchus, going about our business, doing what we thought that we were supposed to do and getting hurt by the actions of others. What we have difficulty understanding is the response of Jesus. It's so atypical for human reaction. Jesus demonstrated for us a reaction of healing and wholeness. There are seven points that we discover from Jesus' reaction that teach us how to better respond when faced with life's wounding circumstances. Just stop. When we stop, we refuse to escalate the event. We find hope by putting an end to the hostilities and show wisdom in ceasing the conflict. Then we disarm. Put away the weapons of angry words, hateful gestures, and act in love as we disarm our attackers. Don't retaliate. Right will always win in the end, and true justice remains with God. In most cases, there's nothing we can do to reverse the circumstances or alleviate the pain. Turn the wound over to God and wait for restoration. Live for a greater purpose. Most of the time, like Peter, we only see what is immediately in front of us. We cannot see that the role of our actions may play in a bigger picture. As Rob Burkhart states, Jesus threw himself into a future that Peter could not see and into the arms of a God who Peter did not yet know. Underlying Christ's actions was a deep and resolute trust in the Father. Know the victimizers are also victims. In today's scripture, we see an innocent victim, Jesus, betrayed by a friend and a cruel plot against him. We did, Jesus didn't deserve to be arrested, tortured, or killed. Malchus intended to victimize Jesus. Malchus became the victor of Peter and his sword. Peter became a victim of regret. The victims of the event could have increased, but Jesus stepped in, ending the victim count. We too create victims in our path of fear, retaliation, without intent. Forgive to bring healing. This idea is not easy to accomplish. Forgiveness is tough. 
When we feel we've wronged or we've been wronged, we, we sometimes feel it's okay to wrong others in, in return. However, it is with the power of the victim to free the victimizer. Jesus shows us this by example. He was the one who could have helped Malchus. Peter didn't have the power. Malchus, Malchus was hurt and bleeding. Jesus, through his action, enabled Peter and Malchus to be freed from the past and empowered to embrace the future. Only God has the power in that moment and in others to heal and heal the hurt of both men. Surrender. In today's scriptural event, Jesus surrendered to God's will and not to the temple guards. If Jesus had fought back, he would have won. But by allowing his enemies to arrest him, and the ultimate victory came on the day of resurrection, and it was bigger than winning a garden battle. It was in surrender that victory was won. The lesson we learned today on the road is that Jesus is our wounded healer. He knows pain and suffering. Easter belongs to the wounded and to those who suffer. It is our pain and our suffering, in our pain and our suffering, that we meet God who loves us and is willing to endure agony to win, to win our eternity. The following story illustrates how even our doubts and suffering, God shows up to remind us how much we are loved. Preacher pulled behind the car, the last car of the funeral cordage. The defroster cleared the windows and the windshield wipers worked overtime, but he still could not keep up with the rain. He hated conducting funerals for children and dreaded the graveside service. The young mother had given both to twin, birth to twin boys and one had died in birth and the other clung to the slimmest thread of life in a local hospital. If it weren't enough, the family would bury the little one in a driving rain. Most church people don't believe it, but, but, but it's true. Pastors deal with folks in the very worst moments of their lives and see much misery and pain, and sometimes it's hard to keep believing in the God of love, mercy, and compassion. Sometimes it seems that God stands on the sidelines and let the sewer of human suffering flow. The longer the pastor drove, the, the angry, angrier he got. He, told, he found himself railing at God and, who had let this child die and make the grieving family bury him in the rain. There was caring. There, where was the caring God that he preached and taught and believed in? Their suffering seemed to, to, ma- to matter more than, than this pastor to this pastor than it did to God. He pounded the steering wheel and let his anger out. After a few minutes... His rant returned to a simple prayer. Please, God, don't let them bury their baby in the rain. He didn't notice at first. But the longer he drove, the more the rain slowed. Soon it was just a sprinkle. The rain stopped by the time he turned into the country's cemetery road. He got out of the car and looked up at the dark, rolling, and ominous sky. The air was thick and heavy, but it wasn't raining. He took his Bible, but left his umbrella. He led the procession up the dirt road to the grave near the top of a small hill to to watch the young father place the the tiny white coffin on a small bear surrounded by artificial grass that hid the grave in the mound of dirt. 
He waited for the family to gather and began the brief service. When the service was over, he stood silently at the foot of the coffin and watched the family make their way down the hill to, to their cars, pull out of the cemetery and, and head for the church and the funeral dinner. Two men got out of a truck and parked inconspicu- inconspicuously at the edge of the cemetery, reached the pickup's bed and pulled out two shovels. They were there to finish the job. They pulled back the artificial graph carefully lowered the coffin into the grave and removed the bear and and put the lid on the vault and they they quickly filled the dirt, uh, filled the grave, did their best to reposition the sod and and make sure that the small grave marker was in place. They rubbed the excess dirt on the wet grass and threw them in the back of a pickup truck and moved away. That's the first time a drop of rain fell. Pastor walked quickly as, as he could to the car Running on a, running on a slick, dark, uh, slick dirt road was, was not a good idea. And by the time he reached the car, he was soaked to the skin. He could not ever remember the rain falling so hard, so fast. He sat in the car, listening to the rain drum on the roof. Okay, I get it, he said, quietly and reverently. He did get it. He learned a lesson he would never forget. There's a God who sees and cares. A God who noticed one grieving family in a small country cemetery. The same God who stilled the Sea of Galilee and healed his attacker in the garden and and opened the floodgates of heaven to make a point. It was a God who heard one doubting child ask for the rain to stop. As we walk walk along the, the Linton pathway, May we recognize the God who majors in the minors and who walks along with us in our suffering in order to heal us. As we move into a time of communion this morning, we will follow the communion liturgy. I think it's important that even though we, we take communion and are reminded of this gracious meal each and every Sunday, we have to remember this ancient liturgy that, that keeps us connected to the rest of the Christian followers. So follow me in the liturgy on the screen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and called them good. From the dust of the earth you formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, you bore up the ark on the waters, saved Noah and his family and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments, and you made us your covenant people. When your people forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights on your holy mountain. He heard your still, small voice. And so, with all your people on heaven and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, when you gave him to save us from our sin. Your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. When he suffered and died on the cross for your sin, you raised him to life, presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days, and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Now, when your people prepare for our yearly Feast of Easter, you lead us to the repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts, that during these 40 days of Lent we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm the covenant you made with us through Christ. On the night in which he gave himself for up, self up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take Eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For those who are going to help with communion, I ask you to come forward at this time.
we will serve by intention this morning. We will take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We do have gluten-free options for those of you who need it and single servings for those who are uh, not comfortable with intention. The altar is open that we may always praise God and as we take, come as you're able.
yes, we do believe. Let us go from this place thanking God that God dwells within us and sharing God's love within us to others. Amen. Amen. Go with God. You're dismissed. Oh, yeah.